And Shabbat Shalom, greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are back live, no technical issues this Sabbath. So thank you all for lifting us up in prayer and for all the hard work, those of you here in studio today. What a blessing that we are gathering together from all over the world, all over the nations here on Yahweh's Shabbat. As we go through the Torah portions this season, we are in today, Bereshit, Genesis chapter 37, and extending from verse 1 all the way through to Genesis chapter 40, Bereshit 40, verse 23. The title of this week's Torah portion is Vayeshev, Vayeshev, and Jacob dwelt, and Yaakov, Jacob dwelt. But before we get into the text, greet one another in the chat. Make those connections. And remember, you can always leave some comments in the comment section after the teaching as well. Please, if you are watching now live, give us some thumbs up and um, subscribe to the ministry channel. So when we do go live, you'll get a notification. And it also helps in the algorithms. And that means helping to get the word out there in a day and a time when people need to be in the word and in the Ruach. Remember, you can connect with one another during the week, six days a week at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. We've got our Sabbath fellowship group that is growing immensely. And thank you for all of the hard work there on the platform. We have the men's prayer, women's prayer. We've got the youth group. So many opportunities for you to connect with brethren all over the world. And especially today in this time, please Pray for our brothers and sisters in South Africa and you guys in South Africa. Make sure that you can connect with one another too through the Connect platform so that you can be in community and help pull your resources together as well. So this week, let's jump in to Torah portion Vayeshev. Vayeshev, of course, this, giving you an overview, is where Joseph dreams of greatness. Think about this as a prophetic shadow picture of Messiah ben Joseph, the son of Joseph. But I believe today, just like Joseph then, there are many brethren who have been sent ahead into the world for the preservation of of the life of their brethren, whether it's through a prophetic message to wake you up and to give you a ear and eye so that you can see and hear and discern the days in which we live so that when plight comes upon the world that you will be prepared. I believe that Yahweh has sent Yosef's, Joseph's into the land for the welfare and preservation of the brethren. I pray that you can see that this ministry is part of that work because we want you to be equipped for when the east wind blows in and brings trial and tribulation upon the world. Are we in such a time as that? Well, you decide, you discern, but I believe that we need to make sure that those storehouses are being filled right now so that you and I can see and discern the times in which we live. 
But Joseph, of course, is a prophetic shadow picture of the Messiah, son of Joseph. And Joseph dreams of greatness. Of course, in this Torah portion, we're going to see that he is sold by his brothers into slavery. And then there is an apparent jump in the narrative. And we see that Judah departs from his brothers in chapter 28. And you have the whole account of Judah and Tamar. It seems to be a break in the narrative. And then we come back in chapter 39 where we see Joseph now as a slave fully down there in Mitzrayim. And the prophecy starts to become more and more aware as he's in prison and he becomes to rise out of the ashes, if you will, out of what seems to be a terrible, terrible situation. And he begins to bring vision to those that are in a place of hopelessness, the baker and, of course, the cupbearer. And then this begins his rise out of the pit. But I want to talk today about the prophecy of Joseph and how it is a messianic foreshadowing to encourage us and to also for you and I to see that we are on the narrow path that leads to life. And that life is given to us fully by Moshiach ben Yosef, Messiah, the son of Joseph. And that for so many years and for so many people, they've missed the prophecy because of the traditions of men. Just like Isaiah said, you follow the traditions of men instead of keeping the commandments of the living Elohim. Mainline Christianity for so many times have, has lost the plot because maybe they didn't see the foreshadowing of who Messiah would truly be. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 43, it is written, The day following, Yahushua would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip, and he said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip he findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moshe in the Torah and the prophets did write, Yahusha ha Netzaret ben Yosef. Think about it. We have Nathanael who was very familiar with the Torah of Moses. He was very familiar with the prophets and the writings. And in fact, Andrew and Peter, they communicate to Nathaniel and say, hey, we have found the one who is written by Moses in the prophets and the writings. Ben Yosef is the title. Moshiach ben Yosef. And that testimony is enough for Nathaniel to come and to see. So the whole account of Joseph is the account of who Moshiach would be. Now later, think about this. Yahushua now has been crucified. And their expectation that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the Romans is all blown apart. 
And several of them, they, they, they leave Jerusalem. Their faith has escaped them. And they're like, well, we thought, you know, that the Messiah had come and we've been totally deceived and um, now we don't know what to do. And they're traveling on the road to Emmaus, right? In Luke 24, verse 27. And Yahushua, of course, encounters them. And it is written, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Where do you think he started? I would suggest to you that he started right here in Torah Pasha Vayashev, the life of Joseph. Because it tells us that he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that is what I would like to spend my time with you today doing because it is inspiring. When there is so much deception, there's so many lies, and there's so much misinformation, what you and I need is to be solidified in our hope, in our belief that we are on the narrow path that leads to life and that we have found him who has been written in the scriptures and we need to expound upon that and put that message out into the nations to give hope to people because there is a famine coming and we have been sent ahead to preserve the life and welfare of our brethren that are still asleep and in slavery. Ben Yosef the son of Joseph, Ben Yosef, is an age-old Midrash, an ancient Jewish expectation that Israel's Moshiach will likely come in two appearances. First, as Moshiach Ben Yosef of Ephraim, based upon the record that is found in this week's Torah Pasha, Vayashev. And secondly, he would come as Moshiach Ben Dawid, David, Messiah ben David, based upon 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. So the rabbis, the unbelieving Jews, for thousands of years have had this expectation of the son of Joseph Messiah foreshadowing as a suffering servant, and then the son of David the Messiah coming as a man of war, because, of course, David was the man of war, that Yahweh wouldn't even permit him to build the temple because he was the man of war. So they've had this expectation of two delivered, delivering anointing ones. We understand it is one and the same, the first coming and the second coming of Messiah, that Yahushua came the first time as Ben Yosef, the suffering servant, and he will return as Ben David, the conquering king, as you see, the man of war in the book of Revelation. Of course, this second coming, Moshiach Ben Dawid, is based upon Second Samuel Verse 7, chapter 7, verse 12, where it is written, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. 
So is the expectation that the Moshiach will be the son? It is written right there, is it not? And in fact, the prophecies tell us, kiss the son if you shall know his name. So this idea that the Moshiach would be the son isn't uncommon and it isn't something that is foreign to rabbinic literature. It's just been buried because it's very unpopular because, of course, it points to the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in the plain sense of the text, the Peshat, what we have, as we can see in this Torah portion, is we have a drash worker of wood. You look confused. What on earth am I talking about? What is the plain sense of the text of the prophecies of Messiah? He would be a drash, a worker in wood. Where would you get that from? Ezekiel's two sticks prophecies, right? A worker in wood takes two sticks and brings them into the hand. What, what do you call a worker in wood? A carpenter, right? You see, this isn't uncommon to the scriptures. It's woven through the scriptures, Ezekiel 37 verse 15, two sticks, the worker of wood, which then connects into Matthew's narrative in Matthew chapter 13 verse 55. Is this not the worker in wood, son? Is his mother not called Miriam? They were already seeing the Messiah ben Yosef narrative throughout Scripture and starting to put these things together just as Nathaniel was when he was sitting under the fig tree. There was always an expectation that Moshiach ben Yosef would act as the precursor to Moshiach ben Dawid. Moshiach ben Yosef was the first to wage war against the evil forces of evil that oppress Israel and do battle with the descendants of Esau, based upon the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, specifically chapter 1, verse 18. And this is where I believe that we are prophetically at. If you listen to last week's Torah portion, I was talking about the deception and the war that we're at against Esau, the descendants of Esau right now. Esau and Jacob, slavery, and getting you to be enslaved into this world system right now. So, Obadiah 1 verse 18 is very relevant to the time we are at prophetically. The followers of Messiah Yahushua are the ones who are awake to the evil oppressions that are being brought about today in our current culture by the descendants of Esau. And the house of Jacob, that's Joseph, shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and they shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahuwah hath spoken it. There is going to be a flaming and a kindling and a fire that is going to devour them. Is that something that could be a flame and a kindled through their DNA system that is going to flare up and flare up and flare up and mutate and mute? 
These are questions that I have. I see that we are now in another flare-up situation. You see, Messiah ben Yosef's function, according to the rabbis, is to prepare Israel for the final redemption. You and I, through the Ruach HaKodesh, are supposed to be preparing for the final redemption in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we live. They say, he will be the one who will be the, at the end of the world's time, and his title will be Moshiach Milchama, which is the anointed for battle. He will descend from Yosef, for this is the title of Moshiach. This is what the rabbis say. And they go on to say, the battle of Gog and Magog is identified with Moshiach ben Yosef, who suffered for the sins of Israel as Yosef suffered for the sins of his own brethren. This is remarkable. This comes from Judaism. But their eyes have not been awakened yet because the prophecy of Zechariah has not yet come into fulfillment where they shall look upon him whom they pierced. Now tie that in with John chapter 11 verse 50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Right? This is the prophecy of Joseph. And I think about how when I was in the traditional church and then I started to see the Sabbath and the feasts and I started to have this vision and I started to be able to see things the way that we're supposed to live as so many of you have done. And you started to keep the Sabbath and the biblical feasts and change your diet and then I mean maybe you didn't do it but but I certainly did I became so excited about these personal visions of how to live that I became so offensive to my brethren just like Joseph I stumbled in the error of Joseph in my naivety like Joseph I caught a vision I caught a vision of Torah, and like naive Joseph, I angered and offended many, many of my Christian brethren when I started to share my special revelation about the Sabbath. Well, it's not Sunday. When I started to share my special revelation about Easter and Christmas, and the pagan origins of it. When I started to share my special revelation about the dietary requirements and pagan sun god worship and the compromised visions of papal Rome and how sick the institutional church had become. And I started to share these visions back in the early 2000s. Now, back then, armed with my new vision of Torah, I went to town. I went to town talking about how I had been called to this new understanding. Do you see the similarities with Joseph? His naivety of his visions. Was his visions true? Yes. Is the Sabbath true? Are the biblical feasts true? 
Is Easter a bare-breasted fertility goddess that has got nothing to do with our faith? Does Jeremiah warn us not to go out into the field and cut down a tree and drag it inside the house and decorate it with tinsel and put light? Does he warn us that this is pagan sun god worship? Yes, he did. But I, just like Joseph, lacked the discernment on when and how to tactfully share Yahweh's vision of Torah truth. And I offended so many people. Of course, none of you did that. You didn't make those mistakes, now did you? It didn't do too much good sharing how pagan Christmas was a week before Christmas when everybody had bought the presents and already stuck the tree up. It didn't do too much good talking about how abominable the bacon was when I'd already accepted the invite out for breakfast. You see, I didn't have the discernment back then because I was so full of my visionary zeal. And now I've learned, or have I? (laughs) Because... Is it really going to do any good banging on about the vaccine when they're already four deep in the vein and lining up for the fifth? Is it really going to do any good? All you'll become is hated and ridiculed if you're not careful and you'll end up in the pit, just like Joseph, at the hands of your family and at the hands of your so-called friends. Because you were banging on about something and you didn't have the discernment to know when and how to share the truth. Doesn't mean that it's not true, but there's timing. And I've got to tell you, my timing has been off because Joseph's timing was way off on his zeal. You can't make other people see what Yahweh has only given you the vision to see. Can you? And that sometimes hurts. Because you want those that you love to be able to see what you can see. But you can't make them see. Like Joseph, we can tend to isolate ourselves from our brethren and our family because they fail to see things the way that we see them. They may not see our visions of Torah greatness as some kind of exciting revelation to be embraced. Like Joseph, we can become enslaved to the very vision and may even begin to doubt our vision was correct. Right? And I've seen that. I've seen people that were so gung-ho for Torah and now they're totally back in the world because it didn't quite work out the way that they thought. But Yahweh is with us, even in the pits of despair, even in our lonely and isolated times. Yahweh is with us. And when you're abandoned, and you've been abandoned by everybody, Yahweh is with you. And there will always be a remnant of faithful people who have also got the vision to overcome what's right in front of their face.
Joseph was the son who was raised up above all of his brethren. He was raised up above his father, his patriarchal fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Joseph was the sent one, the man who was sent down low into Egypt, the world for the welfare and preservation of his brethren. The house of Jacob didn't understand Joseph's dream and didn't have the anointing to discern them at that time. At Yahushua's first coming, most of all Israel, Jacob's family likewise didn't have the anointing to understand who Messiah ben Joseph was, did they? Let's look at our text. I'll, I'll highlight some points to you in the 37th chapter and how it relates to, of course, Yahushua and the narrative that you find throughout the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. In verse 2 of chapter 37, we find that Joseph feeds the flock of Jacob scattered in the nations. But look at verse 2. The bad report is what? That most are asleep and have squandered their inheritance. Isn't that the bad report? And we go out there and we try to share and oftentimes come back with a bad report about our brethren. In the third chapter of the book of Matthew, it is written, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Son, who is beloved of the Father. Joseph, who was beloved of his Father. Now look at verse 3. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. Did Yahushua bring a bad report? He did. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? This is the parallelisms between the story of Joseph here and, of course, Messiah ben Joseph. In verse 3, Israel loves Joseph. Israel, the land, it longs for Joseph because Joseph, of course, is the legal heir to all the promises from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we find in verse 3, there's this birthright tunic, that's what this is all about, the birthright tunic. It was an upper coat in the language reaching to the wrist and ankles such as noblemen and kings would wear. It was a tunic found throughout the scripture. Second Samuel chapter 13 verse 18 says that the daughters of the king wore similar coats, meaning it was a kingship, a malki a Malki kingship, Zadig, righteous garment. It was the garment of the king's righteousness. And in verse 5 now, as the narrative expounds further and further, in chapter 37, we see that Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he was hated without a... Cause, And of course, you can tie that in with John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, 
You know that it hated me before it hated you. Yahusha hated without a cause. Now, in verse 7, it goes on to say, There they were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. You see, Joseph, verse 7, will reign and have dominion over the 11 tribes, plus the matriarchs and the patriarchs. The prophetic first fruits wave sheaf where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Messiah ben Joseph is Lord of all. Absolutely powerful. I'll skip down to verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. Joseph, of course, verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. But if you look in the Torah scroll here, you'll see the Aleph Tav. The Alpha and the Mega, the first and the last, and it appears right within the text. Then his brothers went to feed their Aleph Tav, father's flock in Shechem. And then in verse 13, I will send you to them. Well, this ties in with John chapter 3 verse 34. For he who Elohim has sent, the one who is sent, speaks the words of Elohim. For Elohim does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And you can see how the language is dripping with prophecy, and that is tied in in the New Testament. The one who is sent ahead for the welfare and preservation of his brethren. But they don't have the eyes to see of who he is. And when he starts to proclaim his message, he is hated without a cause. This is exactly what, of course, happened to Yahushua as he was came excuse me, as Moshiach ben Yosef. Now, what's interesting in the 14th verse here, He goes on to say in Genesis chapter 37, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. The valley of Hebron, those of you that have been over to Israel, it's a mountain. And if you look in the text, the word here is emek, emek, which means it's a mystery that is about to be revealed. You see, in verse 15, we can see that there is a certain man. Who's the certain man, prophetically? Well, Yahusha, the certain man, will find Joseph wandering in the field of the world because he is looking for his tribal brothers. If you and I are the sons of Joseph and we're out here wandering in the world, what are we supposed to be doing while we're out here wandering in the world? We're supposed to be looking for our tribal brothers. 
which is why I greet you every single Shabbat. Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We need to be looking for our tribal brothers as we're wandering out here in the fields of the world. And in fact, James, the half-brother of Yahusha, gives us the greeting to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into the pit. Yahusha is the certain man here that enables Joseph to find his brothers. How have any of you found me and how have I found you? Because we have the connection of Joseph, Yahusha. That's how we found one another. It's because we're believers. We have the same faith. We have the Moshiach who guides us. I have nothing in common with any of you. You have nothing in common with each other except for the one thing that binds us all. Joseph, a certain man. Now look at verse 18 as we go down in the text. Now when they saw him far off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They conspired against him to kill him. Matthew chapter 26, verse 3. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the place, unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And they consulted that they might take Yahusha by conspiracy and kill him. And now you know what Yahusha was expounding upon in the scriptures on the road to Emmaus, he was going back to Torah Porsche via Shev to say, look, it is written of me. All of this was written and prophesied of me. They conspired against him to kill him, as did the leaders of Israel. And in verse 20, kill him and cast him into some pit. Well, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 85, The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy Torah. Well, who are the proud here? Simeon, which means hated. He's said to be the one who said, kill him. According to the tradition, it was Simeon who said, kill him, because his, mean, his name means hated. For he hated his brother. Now, Yahushua informs his audience in John chapter 15, verse 25, that the account of Joseph was in fact all about him. John 15, verse 25. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their Torah, that they hated me without a cause. He is directly referencing the very scripture I just read in your hearing. Isn't that powerful? We are on the right path, my brethren. When so many are going astray, they are following after the dictates and doctrines of man, just as Isaiah prophesied. They are falling for all the mandates and all the laws and conspiracies of men against their person. But it's the tribes of Joseph scattered in the nations that have the ears to hear and the eyes to see 
the deception all around. And when you do, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be hated. They're going to want to throw you into a pit because it's an offense to their folly that you're awakened to the truth that is the person of Moshiach ben Yosef. In verse 20, he is rejected by his brothers. And we can see in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. And in verse 21 of chapter 37, it is written, But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit. So Reuben was the past legitimate holder who will not want to kill you. And verse 24, the pit is really akin to the pit of exile, which will be depleted of water as we are in the exile. And then we find in the 25th verse, and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites. I wonder, as we go from feast to feast, and then there are, of course, the papal festivals. And then there are the Babylonian festivals as well, like Purim and Hanukkah, that are non-scriptural, that many will sit down and partake of. Because apparently the feasts of Yahuwah aren't enough. And I've seen people jump out of papal Romanism and then jump into Babylonian Judaism missing the, the wonderful feasts of Yahweh or adding to them or taking away. What is wrong with what is written? Why add the pagan traditions, whether it be Easter or Purim? I wonder, at a future Purim, will they again conspire to enslave us? Will they seek to throw us in a WHO health camp pit run by Ishmaelites and Amicalites? I don't know. But I do realize that Satan's seed is out there conspiring against the house of Joseph in the exile. And they would rather sell you into Ishmaelite camps. And today we have got many, many people buying into that fear and conspiracy. But in verse 33, we can see that this is all about the garment. This is all about the kingship. This is all about the tunic. And he recognized this tunic in verse 33, and he said, It's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, and he put sackcloth on his waist, and he mourned his son many days. If this tunic is the kingdom tunic, and it's the birthright tunic, which I believe it is, and that ultimately all 12 tribes are going to come back together, then we've got to look at where this prophecy went off the rails. And of course, we find that in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 30, 
that the prophet Ahijah took Jeroboam's coat, his tunic, and he said, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten tribes to you, Jeroboam. I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, Solomon's hand, and will give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself, to put my name there, so I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desires, and you, Jeroboam, shall be king over Israel. All of our prophecy is now coming back together because it's always been about Joseph's tunic. Joseph's tunic represented the kingdom, the Malkitzedic kingdom, but it was shredded. And the ten northern tribes were taken up north and taken into captivity into Assyria, scattered into the nations. And the southern tribes were taken into Babylon for 70 years and brought back. And this division of the kingdom, the division of the two houses of Israel, is what Moshiach would come to heal. The worker in wood, the drash, like I began, would take the two sticks and bring them back into one kingdom. A kingdom that is unified through Moshiach ben Yosef, Moshiach ben David, as one Messiah who brings healing to the nations. But the problem is, the nations have got another agenda. And this agenda right now is in full swing. It's Agenda 21. Whereas Yahushua has Agenda 1, that he's bringing us all into one camp. No division, but unification. But the world is all about division. This camp versus that camp. This camp versus that camp. Trying to break everybody up based upon anything they can. Anything to sow discord and division. It can be your health status. It can be a skin color. It can be um, a, a national origin. It can Anything to sow division. Because if Yahweh's people, a multi-ethnic tribe come together in unity of Joseph, then that's when true, true healing can come. And they do not want us to take the healing leaves of the nation and bring it into our lives because then that makes the controversy powerless, does it not? You see, and everybody's feeding in to that argument. But there's another way. It is called Nachamu, Nachamu. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Isaiah prophesied over Israel's need for comfort. And I think now in our day, in our age, people need comfort. We need comfort more than you will ever know. But it will never come through a hand of a doctor. It will never come through a government agency. True comfort can only come through the comforter and true healing can only come through the great physician everything else is a fabrication and a fallacy now in chapter 38 we seem to digress but really there's a teaching here judah goes off from his brethren and he departs for a while if judah represents the yahudim the jews then here's the teaching once the Jews realized that they had brought forth the messianic line and Yahushua had secured his throne rights, 
Judah here departs from the father, does he not? Judah departs from his brothers and he goes where? He goes into Babylon, if you will. Or he goes and departs into a foreign land. Judah departs from the father. Now, he who denies the father, he who denies the son, denies the father also. So if Judaism denies the son, have they departed from the father? Well, that's what the scripture would say too. And they've departed from the brothers who believe in Joseph, right? Can you see the prophecy here? This happened at the sacking of Jerusalem in 70 of the common era. Then Judah, he visits with others outside the Torah. As we see right here, Judah visits with who? Those outside of the Torah, doesn't he? He's gone down into a foreign land, and we have the whole narrative here where he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. So Judah, this whole section in chapter 38 is prophetically about how the Jews would visit with those outside of Torah. They would depart from the Father. They would depart from their tribal brothers for a period of time and get caught up in rabbinicalism and Babylonian mystery religions. So... This is what has happened at the sacking of Jerusalem in 70 of the Common Era. Judah visited with others outside of the Torah, the Talmud, the Mishnah, and he became his own authority, and that's what rabbinical Judaism is. It's its own authority. Judah, he doesn't recognize the birthrights of scattered Israel, by the way. Who was Israel, by the way? In the prophecy here, it's Tamar, right? She was Israel, by the way. Did he recognize her birthrights? No. Not at all. Because Israel is veiled in the nations. Tamar, veiled in the nations, playing the harlot. Many of the Jews will never accept a Jesus who's veiled as a pagan sun god. Because they go, well, this is against the Torah. Because people have been misrepresenting the true Messiah for thousands of years. And they've dressed him up. They've dressed Joseph up like a pagan sun god. They put shaved his head. They've put Egyptian makeup on his eyes. Is this what we see in the scriptures? Yes. Joseph is unrecognizable to his brethren when he's dressed up as a papal Jesus unrecognizable to the Jews. They're like, well, this makes no sense. This is nothing to do with the Hebrew Mashiach. I guess this is some Roman papal thing, right? But really, the truth has been hidden, veiled in the nations, just as Tamar was hidden and veiled in the nations. Judah doesn't recognize the birthrights of scattered Israel, by the way, which is Tamar, because Israel, Tamar is veiled, and she's playing the harlot in the nation's religious systems. Ultimately, family restoration can only happen when the harlot, that's you and I, we played the harlot. When we take the staff of Judah, which represents the stolen birthright, and we take our place as the Joseph primacy within the family of Israel, that's what ushers in Yahushua's second coming, because he's of the line of Perez. Judah, 
in the narrative. He must acknowledge that the harlot tribes have been more righteous than he because they've been the guardians of Messiah. For 2,000 years, yes, we got caught up in papal harlotry, veiled in all of this paganism, dressed the Messiah up like a pagan sun god, been cutting down trees and bringing them into the house, having hot cross bun cakes and everything that the scripture says not to do, so that the Messiah, Ben Yosef, is totally unrecognizable. But like Tamar, we were veiled in the nations. And yes, Judaism would say, burn them. They're a bunch of pagans. But now you're starting to wake up and you're coming back to the truth of Torah. You're becoming recognizable to Judah. And all of a sudden now he's going to see that you have been the guardians of the primacy anointing, which is, of course, going to bring about Yahushua's second coming because he's of the line of Perez. Judah must acknowledge that the harlot tribes have been more righteous than he because they've been the guardians of Messiah. Judah cried, let her be burned. And as the harlot, we deserve to be burned, but we've been given mercy and restored into the flock of Jacob. This is called the reunification of Jacob. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 11. Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. That is why there's this break in the narrative with chapter 38. It's our story. It's our story of the past 2,000 years of being veiled in the nations and the Roman papal veiling of the true Messiah under all of that paganism. There's so much to see. In Genesis chapter 44, verse 18, Then Judah came near to Joseph and said, O my master, Please let your servant speak a word in your master's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. You see, there's been a prophetic breach between the messianic line and the birthright. It's been a breach between the king and the kingdom. And we know that Judah was actually permanently cremated, tofet as a nation. And you can't repair what has been shattered and cremated as in a potter's vessel. Judah, but she cannot be made whole again unless it's with Joseph. There's no life without Joseph. Joseph is the life. And that's what Ezekiel talks about, about the two sticks coming together in one. I think there is so much for us to see, and I'll just finish up with a few parallelisms between Joseph's life and Moshiach, the son of Joseph's life. Now remember how this biblical account of Joseph, it all started. Joseph was looking for his brothers in Genesis chapter 37, verse 17. And he was told, well, they're in Shechem. And Shechem means shoulders or upper back, which was where the burden or the punishment or the scourging is meter, meted out, which would later take place in Dothan. 
Now, Dothan right there in the Hebrew language, this is a very, very telling word because its root is da'at, Dothan, da'at. And what does da'at mean? Religious law. So when you tie this together with Shechem, which means shoulders, upper back, where the burden of punishment or scourging is meted out, with Dothan, religious law, you get to start to see that the one with the righteous garments prepared for him by his father goes to a place of scourging to shoulder the burden of the family of Jacob Israel. And in Dothan is where he's judged by the religious law of his brothers and thrown into a pit only to be raised by glory. Isn't that amazing? And that's all right here. He had a miraculous birth. Joseph had a miraculous birth. And of course, we know that Moshiach ben Yosef had a miraculous birth. And he was given a garment. And the garment is a katanet pasim in the Hebrew. Katanet pasim, which means to sleeves and ankles. It's the same description of the garment of a high priest, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 18. A garment that was ripped and divided and soaked in blood. I mean, that's a hint, a remez of the split kingdom, and it was a hint at later Golgotha. This is so powerful. He sent ahead for the preservation and welfare of his brethren. But they couldn't recognize him because they were following the doctrines and traditions of men. He was a shepherd out there looking for the flock. He was hated by his brothers. He was the only begotten son of the father whom the father loved with an everlasting love. He was rejected by his tribal brothers and he was hated without a cause. He, of course, prophesied to his brothers that he would be their future leader, which, of course, they hated him even more. He was sent to check on the welfare of his brothers, and he brought back a bad report. He seeks the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The parallelisms continue because they conspired against him. He was handed over to the Gentiles because his brothers didn't want to be the agents of his death. Think about that. He was handed over to the Gentiles because his brothers didn't want to be the agents of his death. That's exactly what happened with Caiaphas and before Pilate. He was thrown into a pit, a grave. But then when they went to the pit and the grave, they found it empty. He had miraculously risen out of it. He was stripped of his garments. He was sold for silver. His garments were dipped in blood. He is dressed up to look like a pagan Gentile. He's given a Gentile nickname, Jesus. Zath Panania, the bread man of life. He takes a bride from the pagan nations who's the daughter of the priest of sun god worship. It's no wonder we've been caught up in papal Roman sun god worship for 2,000 years. He has sons 
Think about it. Ephraim and Manasseh. His sons are half Hebrew and half spiritual Gentiles reared up around sun god worship. Does that sound like any of you? He's unrecognizable to his Jewish brethren in this state. Right? Just like Jesus is unrecognizable to the Jewish people in the state that the Roman papal church has got him dressed up. The Gentiles knew him as Zaphpanania, the savior or bread man of life, but he's unknown to his tribal brothers. He begins to minister at about 30 years of age. He performs a miracle with bread. With just a small amount, he's able to feed thousands. 20% is set aside for seven years. Do the math. For seven years of famine, it would run out without a miracle. It's the miracle of the multiplication of grain, just as we see with Yahushua feeding the 5,000. Joseph provides physical bread, whereas Yahushua provides spiritual bread. He's a descendant of Perez, the son of Judah, through Tamar. He resisted temptation, Potiphar's wife. He was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Although the divine, the diviner's cup, emptied himself of all divine privilege, and he humbled himself to become a servant of men. And he was handed over to the Gentiles to be killed. He was imprisoned along with two other criminals. One was promised life, the cupbearer. The other dies in his sin by being hung on a tree. One a cupbearer, the other a baker, illustrating the future redemptive work of bread and wine. I mean, it's just everywhere. The baker was hung on a, hung on a tree and he had his head encircled by an acacia basket. Now, the acacia thorn was the same thing that was wrapped around Yahushua. The acacia tree produces the thorn that was used to crown Yahushua. But the acacia tree is also used for the weaving of baskets. So the baker had the same thing placed upon his head as Yahushua did. Hung on a tree, encircled by an acacia basket. Yahushua, of course, being hung on a tree, his head encircled by acacia thorns. He was exalted to the right hand. He would become separated from his brothers for a long period of time. And at first, the brothers, they reject Joseph's leadership. But only later, after a long separation, do they accept his leadership? After how many years? Two years. And Hosea tells us a day is as a thousand years. So I believe that yes, the nations right now are roaring and are trembling and there is a sickness going on. It's a sickness of the mind. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of anointing. It's a blindness and a lack of discernment. But at some point the veil will be lifted and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Of course, John writes this in the 19th chapter 
and the 37th verse. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. It's all about Joseph. It's always been about Joseph. And our story is in this narrative. And Yahushua explained it to the disciples as they lost hope on the road to Emmaus. Right now, when so many people are losing hope in the nations, it's because they've been deceived by Esau and the Edomites. But Joseph has the primacy, the primacy anointing, and of course that comes by the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh that enables us to see things that others can't see enables us to hear the words of the master in those times of distress. You and I must press in and we must seek that which is lost, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's what this ministry is about. We join together not at the papal feasts, not at the Babylonian feasts of Purim and Hanukkah, but at the biblical feasts ordained by Yahuwah, that is what we do, and we keep the Sabbath, and we walk in the ways of the Master Yahushua to all 12 tribes scattered abroad. Make connections and draw one another close in these days ahead, and prepare for the Passover that we can sup together in these few months next coming, because we're in for a dry spell, but also we're in for a prophetic anointing in this next season if we stay true to the primacy anointing of Joseph. So I think there's so much to see in these Torah parshas. It's absolutely beautiful. Let's see what you've got to say in the chat. If you have any questions, comments, please put it up in the chat here and redline me if you want to draw my attention. And uh, I think um, we had good sound and everything today, brothers, son. All right. Give me a second here while I refresh the screen. Romans 8.28 from the Libby Tube says, We know that all matters work together for good for those who love Elohim, to those who are called according to his purpose. And don't you see that within the Torah portion? Exactly. Fabulous, fabulous. Ah. All right. Yes, Drew, don't forget to thumbs up, family. Give us some thumbs up right now if you're still hanging with us in the chat. Please give us some thumbs up. It really, really does help. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Emissary of Elohim, the fullness of the nations gathered. All right, if you have any questions or if you have any comments, please put it up in the chat right now. If you want to bring up uh, anything at all. 
Emissary of Elohim, Yeshayahu, Isaiah 2.5, O house of Yaakov, come and let us walk in the light of Yahuwah. Yes, Kevin Niebling, there is tons of good stuff in this Torah Pasha, Vayeshev, and Jacob settled, and Jacob settled. My potato munchkin, why are both Jesus and Satan referred to as the morning star in Isaiah 14.12 and Revelation 22.16? I believe um, that is a translation error. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to research that. But maybe somebody who's got their uh, concordance or scriptures open or your um, um, e-sword open right now could um, answer my potato munchkin on Isaiah 14, 12, Revelation 22, 16. Put it in the chat. Put it in the chat. That would be great. Um, Oh, hallelujah worship. Genesis 9.23. So Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of the father. But their faces were turned away, and they did not see. Not sure how that relates, but um, maybe you'll tell us, hallelujah worship. Oh, here we go. Beacon Hill Ministries. Oh, Beacon Hill Ministries? Much more truth. Are you now Beacon Hill Ministries? Why Beacon Hill? I used to live right around the corner from Beacon Hill. I grew up like a mile away from Beacon Hill. Once is referenced, one is referenced as the star of the morning, the other is referenced as the morning star. Ah. Human trafficked by his brothers, the Libby Tube. Well, they, that's right, and that's exactly what they're doing right now. It's human trafficking, isn't it? Exactly. Asana, Karen Long, Shabbat Shalom, Thornbush, wife of Yosef, Asanath, Asanath, means Thornbush, Karen Long. Is that, that, that's what, yeah, okay. All right. Drew, we are spiders in a web. Of deceit, but we're coming out of that web. That's the wonderful thing. Vaticanus means habitation of the dogs. Of course, um, we've covered that before. Habitation of the dogs. Hallelujah, worship. Everything Roman taught us was mind control. All right, let's see what else. Oh, okay, here we go. All right, I think I was in the wrong part of the screen here. What is our plan for Passover, Chris De La Rosa? That will be up shortly on the website, and we will make an announcement. But I'd love to have a gathering here in Oregon and see if we can have a, a group and come and stay and break bread together. That would be the plan, I would hope. Diesel Grandma, I hope that you are recovering from the coof. Prayers for Diesel Grandma and all those up there in Snohomish. They had a superb spreader, apparently. Um, so we do pray that you are recovering from the coof up there in Snohomish.
Cameron Milroy asks me a question here. If you could choose between Smith & Wesson or Glock, which HK would you select? Well, that makes no sense. I'd just select an HK and not go with a Smith & Wesson or a Glock. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. Why did you change your ministry name from Much More Truth to Beacon Hill Ministries? I like Much More Truth, but give us a reason. E.V. at Torah to the Tribe. Shalom from Eli and Karen from across the mountain from you in Idaho. To your point earlier today about the WHO camps. Yes, watch out for those WHO camps. You're most probably better off in Idaho than you would be here. Good grief. Looking here, looking. Give me a second here. Bruce Edmonds, Yeshua is the bright and morning star. Lucifer is the son of the morning. Only one Lucifer mentioned in Isaiah fourteen twelve. That's right. You want to break that down in the in the in the language for sure. Fayez Afzal, Shabbat Shalom. Is it the time for Macedonia call to start and accept the torch like Yosef and prepare the next generation? Yes, we need to prepare the next generation, passing the torch of Yosef on, the garment. Oh, jumped on me. Hang on a second here, people. Hang on a second here. Where did you go? Oh, Brandon equals Beacon Hill in Old English. Really? Okay. Torah Explorer. Thanks for the vids. You welded a bunch of loose pieces in my head. Well, that's great. Now you just need to weld some loose pieces in my head, <laughs> and we'll be we'll be equal. I'm using your material when I do my little videos. My wife and daughters are gaining ground through this. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, praise Yahweh. Oh yes, let's see. Now here's another good one about this. Truth like Velcro. The morning star was the first star to appear in the AM. Lucifer was the star that shone, but when he fell, he lost that title. Yahusha is now the morning star. That's my version. That's the version according to truth like Velcro. All right, you keep jumping on me. Bear with me here. I manned this uh, scrolling here. Oh, I see. Beacon Hill Ministries, much more truth. Beacon Hill is branded in Old English, Matthew 5, 12. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill 
which can't cannot be hid let your light beacon shine before men all right okay got the pun a little bit of a word pun there Baruch Hashem Yahuwah and we'll finish up with Drew up there in Snohomish I believe that's who you are Drew if you didn't change your username huge blessings to my brothers and sisters and huge blessings to all of you live here this Shabbat and remember um, connect with one another connect with one another six days a week at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect of course the live chat is a great vehicle for you guys to connect with one another when we do the streaming you can also put some comments down in the comments section remember give us some thumbs up right now and if you don't like it the three of you that always tune in um you know we will be expecting you to put the thumbs down don't know why you tune in but hey thanks anyway and um leave some comments and edify one another baruch hashem yahuwah elohim is on the throne and we know that he has taken us into the promised land. Time is short, my friends. Stay strong, stay righteous, stay in the truth, and look for the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You might find them in the grocery store or down there at the petrol station, but we're everywhere. We are everywhere, and people are waking up. It is truly a time to be alive, is it not? Gather together, and of course, edify one another, and Shabbat Shalom.